morning all. Um, I'm reading from 1 Corinthians 5, um, from verse 1, and it's dealing with the case of incest. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and, a, and, a, and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are proud? Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I am not physically present, um, I am with you in spirit. As one of you is pres- as one of who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled, I am with you in spirit, and the power of the Lord is present. Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of his of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens a whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast, so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not all, meaning the people of this world, who are immoral or greedy or swindlers or adulterers. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or a sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an adulterer, a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is this of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? And God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. This is the word of God. Thank you, Sherilyn. <clears throat> Just uh, pray for Mike as he brings God's word to us. So, Father, we uh, thank you for Mike. We thank you uh, for his faithfulness to your word. We thank you, Lord, that he um, just stands firm on your word. And we pray for him this morning as you um, use him to bring your word uh, to us this morning. Pray, Father, that you will give him power from your spirit to speak words of truth to speak your words to us, and we pray that you will help us to be responsive um, to to those words that you're giving us this morning. So come and have your way amongst us, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jay. Hey, good morning, everyone. Um, just like to say that, un, unlike Tony, I haven't put on weight. <laughs> and uh, I went for my, and even, even more, it gets even better, I went for my flu jab yesterday for the over-65s, and they were refusing to let me in. 
because they couldn't believe I was over 65. <laughs> so I had to persuade and convince them that I really was over 65 and I did, I, did I have an appointment. Okay, we we'll continue our, um, our new series on um, uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, looking at problems and issues in the church. And the really good thing about going through uh, a letter or a book in the Bible is that you can't avoid, you can't pick and choose. Uh, you can't just preach on the, on the bits that you're comfortable with or that you like or that you think won't offend other people. Uh, when you come across it, that's the next thing on the, on the list. You have to preach on it whether you like it or not if you're really going through the, the, the letter or the book properly. And... Um, this is what we have today. It's a very difficult message today from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5 uh, that we're going to look at. Because the, the city of Corinth in Paul's day, just to um, recap, was like, a, uh, like our society today uh, in many ways. People were intent on doing their own thing. As um, Luke said earlier on, people did. It was like a judge's time and it is today. People were intent on doing their own thing, uh, judges says. Uh, and in particular, sexual permissiveness was rampant in Corinth. <coughs> and then, as now, this infiltrated into the church, sadly. And as serious as the immorality itself was, what was even worse was the tolerance of it within the church. The fact that the church tolerated it. And that was even worse than the actual sin itself. Paul tells us. And Paul's thrust in this chapter is to command the church to discipline church members who deliberately sin, those who feel no guilt or remorse, those who refuse repeatedly to repent and are content and happy to continue leading a life that goes against uh, the will of God. Now it's important to note here that we all fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says that very clearly. None of us can throw stones at anybody else. Um, we, all fall, we all make mistakes. We all slip up into sin. We all have our battles with ongoing sin throughout every day, every week, every month, every year of our lives. That is ongoing. None of us are perfect. But this passage is not directed at those who acknowledge their battle with sin, who grieve over it, uh, who grieve over their sin and failings, uh, know that they're in known sin and their heart's desire is to try and move on from it even though they continue to struggle with it. They acknowledge it. It's not directed at that person which is probably all of us or the majority of us here today. So the first thing I want to look at is why discipline in the church? Why? Or how dare we discipline? Who are we to discipline somebody in the, in the church? And in 1 Corinthians uh, uh, 5, verses 1 and 2, it says, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality. Paul is um, speaking to the church now. <coughs> and he said, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that doesn't occur even among pagans. A man has his father's wife and you are proud of it. So Paul says to the church in Corinth, that there's a church member here who was having an intimate relationship, an affair with his father's wife or his stepmother. 
And in Jewish law, this made her his, his mother. It was almost, it was as if it was his biological mother. And so it was an incestuous relationship that this man was in. And the church was welcoming it, not speaking out against it, even proud of it. Uh, the woman isn't addressed in Paul's letter because she was probably not a believer. Therefore, the church had no jurisdiction over her. Uh, Paul called this relationship immoral, and he points out that even the pagans, even the pagans, those outside of the church, that knew that this kind of relationship was wrong. Even they knew it was wrong. And so the church was behaving in a manner that even non-believers thought was outrageous. And this was in a city that was incredibly liberal and immoral. And yet they thought it was outrageous behavior. Coming from the people of God. I mean, it beggars belief. So the sin uh, was bad enough, but Paul's actually infuriated by the lack of response from the church, who did absolutely nothing to confront the issue. Paul says this kind of sinful behavior cannot be tolerated in the church. Why? Because it compromises the whole body and witness of Christ. So, for example, why are people charged with perjury when they lie in court? Well, it's because the system cannot be effective if witnesses will not tell the truth. If you allow people to get off scot-free when they lie on the witness stand, the system of justice will then be compromised and will crumble. It will disintegrate. The law is there to stop decay before it destroys the foundation of the justice system. And in the same way, Paul is saying that when blatant sin is tolerated in the church, the foundation of the church is under attack. And if this sin is not addressed, the foundation will erode. And Paul uses the example of yeast. And he says, a little yeast, you only need a little yeast to put in a, a loaf of bread to like make it rise. It's a little yeast will eventually work its way through all the dough. And in the same way, sin that is not dealt with will work itself right through the rest of the church and corrupt it. Or to use a more contemporary term, one bad apple can spoil the whole bunch. We've got a slide there, Mike? I don't know if some of you know the, John, uh, the song by Michael Jackson. Maybe you can remember it. I'm showing my... One he says, one bad apple won't spoil the whole bunch, girl. But actually, it will. There's a bad apple there in a bunch of healthy ones. Another one. It says, bad apples, they're, not, they're, they're only problematic if you keep them in the bunch. If you keep them in the bunch, they'll rot the whole lot. Can we see the final one? There you go. That's the, that's the outcome. Not overnight, but eventually... It will corrupt the whole bunch. That's what will happen. Little by little, subtly, 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 until that's what you get. <coughs> if a rotten apple is left for a while with the other apples, all of the apples will go bad. And God takes the purity of his church seriously. And he commands his children to take it equally seriously. And Paul argues that as forgiven children as followers of Jesus Christ, that we should be living differently. We're called to be in the world. Of course we're to be in the world. How else can we witness to the world if we're not in the world? 
but we're not called to be of the world, to take on the world's values and morals. We're to, be, uh, we're to, uh, to have a different, uh, we're to model a different way of life to those around us. And I just want to take time out here just to sort of encourage you to pray for our young people, our young adults, our young youth, because they are going through pressures and stresses in their everyday lives that we never, ever, as children, and certainly in my time, had to encounter. The pressure on our young people today is huge to conform. And the pressure on our young people to look at what is wrong as right is enormous. And we need to pray for our young people, we need to be patient with them, we need to love them, and we need to understand the pressure that is on them in a way that it never was with us. So young people, we pray for you, we uphold you, and we stand with you um, in, your, in your daily battles with uh, your, the peer pressure that you, that you, that you face. We recognise the battle that you have. But we're called to model a different way of life as children of God to those around us. We, uh, Paul says we should be living in stark contrast to the rest of the world. And if the world sees that following Jesus Christ has made no real impact on the way that we're living, then where is the incentive to follow him? If they look at me and you and say, we touched on this last time. If they look at me and you and say, well, what's different about you? You're just like us. So what's the point in coming to church? We've got that here. <clears throat> so why discipline? If we don't, the one bad apple will corrupt the whole barrel. So what should the discipline be in those severe cases? Verse 2, Paul tells us, and you're proud, he says, shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning? So you should be ashamed and grieving uh, over this person's sin. And then he said, you should put out, you should put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this. So Paul rebukes the church for their foolish pride and then he tells them that they should be grieving over this behaviour, not be proud of it. And if the man refuses, they should confront him and if the man refuses to repent then, and for, repent and forsake his blatant immorality, then he's to be excommunicated, removed from the church. And I mean, that's a severe thing. I think in, in our, my 20 years here, I've only... There's only ever been one person we've excommunicated. Um, there's been a number of people that we've asked to step down from leadership positions because of irregularities in their lifestyle. And one person who left but wanted to come back, and I said to them, no, because they were a bad apple. Um, so it's very, very rare, you know, in all those years, it's very, you know, to excommunicate somebody, it's extremely uh, ran. It's to be a last resort. And Jesus gives us a template for church discipline in Matthew 18. And he says this, Jesus' words, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault one to one. Just between the two of you, he says. If they listen to you, wonderful, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, then take one or two others. Go and get another couple of people and come back to the person, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And then Jesus says, 
If that person still doesn't listen, after you've come back to them with a couple of others to try and persuade them, if they still refuse to listen, then tell the church, bring it to the church and let it be a church issue. And then if they still refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now it's important to understand at this moment that discipline is not inconsistent with love. It is lack of discipline that is inconsistent with love. So if you're a parent and you see your child doing something that you know is going to be harmful to them, you will discipline them. Why? To try and correct them for their good. It is an act of love. It's not to be malicious or vindictive. It's because you want to see them come off that path and onto a right path, or you can see that they're in danger. So you want to discipline them so they could be steered away from that, that, that pathway. It is because of you love them that you do it. It is lack of discipline that is inconsistent with love. That's inconsistent with love. Lack of If you refuse to drop, point something out and try and uh, correct somebody when you know they're on a wrong path. Hebrews 12 says, Those whom the Lord loves, those whom he loves, he disciplines. doesn't say he turns a blind eye. doesn't say those whom the Lord loves, he turns a blind eye and says, Okay, I love you, just do what you want. doesn't say, he said, No, he says those whom the Lord loves, disciplines. Hold on, you're out of order, that's wrong. You're going to get hurt, you're going to get damaged. The Lord disciplines his children because he loves them. And we will discipline our brothers and sisters in the Lord if we truly love them. One of them, this is a great church, um, and it stands out in so many ways. But there's one thing that I want to bring up for this church, uh, for you. And that is, you're just too nice. You're just too flipping nice. And in the 20 years that I've been here, if I may say, Generally speaking, most of you will not confront sin because you're just too nice. Oh, what may, it's not for me to say, why should I? It is for you to say. It is your responsibility, not just mine. You need to confront. We don't have enough people in this church who will confront. And it's important that we do, and it's important that we recognize that. Because those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. It's not loving to not confront when something is wrong or somebody is not doing what they should do and the church is suffering or a group is suffering or will suffer as a consequence. That's not a loving act. The Lord disciplines his children because he loves them and we will discipline our brothers and sisters in the Lord if we truly love them. And in verse 4, Paul says... In the name of the Lord Jesus, this is what you've got to do. You must call a meeting of the church and I will present and I will be present with you in spirit and so will the power of our Lord Jesus. In other words, <coughs> they were to come together, the church was to, uh, to come together to do what Christ would do if he were present here amongst them. They were aware of the principles Jesus had taught from Matthew 18 and Paul calls on the people to now apply those principles. And we sometimes hear of people talk about tough love. Tough love is something that you do 
as a last resort. It is when you have tried talking to the person to steer them away from a wrong path, but nothing has worked. And so as a last resort, you do something drastic to try and turn them around. We call it tough love, because it's very difficult to do. It's not an easy thing, especially if it's somebody you love and care about. It's awful to turn your back or do something that's really hard because you know that you need to do that in order to turn that person around. We call it tough love because it's difficult. However, make no mistake, it is meant as an act of love. So excommunication is actually tough love. It is a final attempt to bring a person to a point of repentance and change. And it seems like a harsh, uh, harsh action, and it is. But it really is an act of love. The kind of church discipline, uh, this, and it's important to know that this kind of church discipline should never be done with malice. It should always be entered into with tears and deep, deep prayer. Because this is a drastic act made necessary by a desperate situation for when a, few, uh, a person refuses point blank, to repent. A church that does not discipline a sinning member is like a person who thinks that they have cancer but refuses to go to the doctor because they don't want to face the problem or the treatment. And if they leave it, what will happen? The disease will spread all over their body and then it will be too late. It's the same principle. Any church that knowingly embraces blatant, open sin, sexual or otherwise. It's not just sexual. It could be all manner of other things. You know, maybe you know that your friend is beating up his wife and children every day. Or maybe somebody, praise God, we don't really have this in our church, but he's a persistent gossiper and just spreading venom and, and through the church and it's causing disruption. It's not just sexual sin. It's all, other, manner, of, all manner of other things. We don't confront it, even the healthiest bushel of apples will not withstand contamination from the, just the one bad apple. The only solution is to separate the bad apple. So as we draw our conclusions this morning, this passage, I want to make it clear that this passage isn't about rounding up people engaged in some kind of sin and kicking them out of church. If that were the case, there wouldn't be anybody left in the church with me the first to go. Because we're all guilty of, of sinning and we're all, guilty, we're all struggling daily with the battle of sin. That's not what this passage is about. This passage is really about loving what God loves and loving other people. If we really care about God, we would want to honour him with our lives. And if we were drifting into sin or into a way that was not honouring God with our lives, then we would welcome somebody coming along and pointing it out to us before it was too late. Even if it takes drastic action, we should want people to keep us from stumbling. So it isn't loving just not to confront and not to say and leave it to somebody else. So this morning... 
Let's begin by looking at our own hearts and our own lives and asking ourselves the tough questions. Where have I began to drift from God's standards? Am I making excuses for sin somewhere? Is my personal spiritual foundation eroding? Am I tolerating sin in my life that really I know should be eliminated? And once we've examined ourselves, then we must determine that we're to care enough about each other to be willing to lovingly confront. And our society's emphasis today, isn't it, is on extreme tolerance. It's what I call extreme tolerance. And extreme tolerance, I want to suggest to you, is very, very dangerous. Extreme tolerance has two major problems. I can probably list more, but I'll just go for two. First, it can lead us to water down God's word. That's the first danger. It can lead us to watering down and compromising God's word. Second, extreme tolerance doesn't actually lead to greater love or respect, but to greater indifference. And it brings us to the point where we simply ignore what is going on in the lives of others. And we determine to live and let live. And we just say, aren't we wonderful church? We're so tolerant. Which is what the Corinthians were doing. And they were proud of it. They said, we're so tolerant. You know, we're embracing this man. Oh, it's a loving act. So we embrace it. And we tolerate it. That's not love, that's apathy. It's apathy. So friends, we're a family here, united in Christ. It's our responsibility to look out for one another. So this morning, do you see somebody heading for a fall? Are you willing to love that person enough to take them aside and say, listen, I'm concerned about you. What's going on in your life? What's this relationship you're involved with? Or what's, you know, I've noticed, you know, how you've been treating your wife or your kids or whatever, you know. What's going on? I'm concerned and here's why. That's real love. That's real love. Finally, I'm going to close with this, that when someone has fallen in such a bad way and turn from their sin in repentance, the church is then to extend mercy and forgiveness without measure. Mercy and forgiveness. Our goal is to help someone get back on the right path, not to beat somebody up for their failures and mistakes. We all do foolish, stupid and sinful things. Every one of us. We need to extend mercy and we need to extend grace to each other. 2 Corinthians, fast-forwarding, uh, fast in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul writes then, looking forward, he says, the punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient for him. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. And it's believed that Paul in 2 Corinthians now is talking in these verses 
about the man who was involved in the incestuous relationship. And he's now saying, um, it seems that the people of Corinth obeyed Paul and they kicked the man out of the church. And as a result, he had come to his senses and he had repented. And Paul is saying, now you have to forgive, comfort him, so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Draw him back in and love him and comfort him. Just as Jesus Christ welcomes us back when we confess and repent to him, Paul says, it's now time for you to welcome him back into the church of Christ. And from that moment on, you're to view this person as though they had never sinned. That that act is never to be raised again, privately or, sh- 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 or that way. Ever again. It is never to be mentioned. It would be as though it had never happened. Friends, church discipline is a very difficult subject and we praise God that this is a church that we've had uh, to extend little of it over the years. Um, But we need to be careful because we're going to confront this increasingly uh, in, the, in, the, in the church looking forward. All across the board. I don't just mean in this church, across the board. And there's going to be pressure on us as a church to be accepting and embracing certain forms of behaviour that will be infiltrating our churches. And we need to be strong, and we need to be loving, and we need to be able to confront in a loving way when, that, when those moments arise. And if we don't, well then, the barrel of apples is going to be corrupt, compromised, and rot. We need to be careful. We need to exhaust, but in saying that, we need to exhaust every other possibility, means, of turning a person away from their sin. But when every other means has been exhausted, then we need to extend tough love, so that one, one bad apple might not spoil the whole bunch. I want us to pray. I know this is a tough message, but it's there in the Word, and that was the next thing (laughs) that we came across. Um, So we preach it, and we teach it. We don't pick and choose what we're comfortable with and what we're not. Um, So I want us to pray. Father, we thank you for your Word. Thank you that it's always a word in season for us. Thank you that your word says that you discipline those that you love. And Father, we thank you that whenever you extend discipline to us, whether it's privately or through uh, the church body, that the ultimate motive is to draw us back into a right relationship with you. That it is an act of love, not an act of malice of vindictiveness. (coughs) And we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. And Father, we thank you that there's no greater act of love than the expression of love born out in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Where your word says, whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Whilst we were still in active rebellion against you. 
you died for us. And we want to thank and praise you for that wonderful act of love, even though it's hard for us to comprehend. <coughs> I want us to um, just pause for a moment, and I just want us to pray or invite you to respond in two ways. <clears throat> First of all, I just want you to pause for a moment and maybe allow the Spirit of God to convict you if there is anybody that you need to confront. Is there anybody that you know is on a downward sp spiral and they haven't seen it. For whatever reason, they've been blinded to it, and you need to point it out to them. Or maybe they know it, they have, they have uh, acknowledged it, but they're still choosing to go down this destructive pathway. And maybe you need to lovingly confront them and say, listen, I need to talk to you, I need to point this out. And I need to say to you that we need to look at taking a different path here because if, if you don't, then these are going to be the consequences. And I'm saying this because I love you and I don't want to see you going down that path. Is there somebody that the Lord this morning is convicting you to speak to and to confront? And then secondly, I just want us, uh, can I ask you to invite you to stand now at this point and then feel, feel free to sit down um, if you no longer feel able to stand. And in a moment, I'm just going to go into our final song. And during that final song, I'm going to invite you, if you would like to, just to come forward and just to kneel here at the front if you would like as a as a symbol of committing before the, the Lord that you want to commit to a life of personal holiness and we can begin by maybe asking us the questions we looked at earlier where have I begun to drift from God's standards is there anywhere in my life where I'm making excuses or justifying sin? Is my spiritual foundation beginning to erode for whatever reason? Or is there sin that I'm tolerating in my life that I know really should be eliminated? Maybe there's some questions you can begin with. And then as the music's playing, then if you just want to if you feel you just want to come symbolically before the Lord and just kneel and just say, Lord, or even if none of those questions, none of those uh, questions apply to you, but you just want to say to the Lord, I want to commit to personal holiness. Will you help me to achieve that on an ongoing daily basis? So Holy Spirit, will you come now and will you just reveal to us any known or unknown sin in our lives that we need to be aware of, that we need to nip in the bud before it spreads.
Come, Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for your faithful sacrifice, your faithful sacrificial love and friendship. Thank you that in love, you point out, you pointed out my sin and that you've disciplined me in order to bring me back into that right relationship with you that you long for us to have. Father, I pray that you continue to deal with me in that way that you continue to bring a desire for personal holiness in my life. And Father, also help me this week to be a faithful and sacrificial friend like you are. So we're going to go into our final song now. We remain in a spirit of prayer and ministry. And during the final song, feel free at any time just to come and sit, kneel, or stand uh, here at the front, symbolically saying to the Lord, Lord, I'm committing myself to a life of personal holiness. I know I can't do it in my own strength, but I'm trusting you to help me on a daily basis. Thank you, Lord. Can we have our final song, Mike?
here. Thank you, Lord, for ministering to us this morning. Thank you for speaking to us. Father, we thank you for your promise that says when your word goes out, it never returns to you void. And we thank you, Lord, today for what you have shown us, what you have taught us through this very difficult message. And we thank you, Lord, that overriding all of this is a loving, heavenly Father who longs for what is best and good and right and wholesome for us. And Father, we pray that you continue this week, and in particular for those of us who've responded here, but, in, in, but for all of us as a whole, that you continue to give us the strength to live a life that is pleasing and holy to you. Father, we thank you that we have the Spirit of God, your Spirit living in us, that you promised you would never leave us as orphans, that you, by your Holy Spirit living in us, you would direct our lives on a daily basis and we thank you that we do not have to face the battle with sin on our own that we have the Holy Spirit that will help us uh, overrule uh, and conquer the, 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 uh, the, the, the daily pressures that we have so Father we thank you for the power that we have in us thank you for the authority that we have in Jesus Christ and we ask that you continue to help us exercise that on a daily basis throughout this coming week and months ahead, Lord. For Jesus' sake. Amen.